This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Will Chester and is from Ascension Sunday, 2018. As I prayed this morning, we're, we're celebrating the Ascension, which is our belief that after being raised from the dead and spending 40 days with the disciples and the early followers of, of himself, that Jesus returned to heaven bodily to the right hand of the Father. And that immediately raises some questions, like, like why do we celebrate this day? I mean, usually it's, it like, wouldn't be a good thing, necessarily, oftentimes, to celebrate the fact that somebody has left the party, right? That joke fell totally flat in the first service as well. That was, that was the exact same response. Um, but that was an attempt at a joke. Um, okay, but the ascension is good news. It's good news for us, and, and my purpose today is to talk about why it's good news that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And so I'll, I'll start kind of by way of an analogy. So several years back, my wife was working at a public high school in uh, the Dorchester neighborhood of Boston, and the, the school was predominantly African-American, and it, it kind of just had a reputation within the Boston public school system for just kind of being a particularly difficult place. So if students had, had struggled at other schools and not found success, they probably found their way to her school. And if they didn't find success there, they are probably going to drop out of the system altogether. And that's why it was, it was amazing to hear stories of what it was like in that school and in that place in 2008 when Barack Obama became the first black president of the United States. I don't, I don't tell this story to make any kind of political statement, but just for us to imagine what it would have been like or might have been like for these students who for the first time are seeing someone like them in the halls of power. I mean, despite forecasts saying that he was likely to win the election, many students, they, they still couldn't believe it. It was almost too good to be true. And then when they did hear the news, the school was filled with this, this radiant sense of, like, hope and potential. Anything seemed possible. Limitations didn't seem like limitations any longer. Because if a black man, someone like them, was now in the Oval Office, what did that mean for their lives in Dorchester? And I think the Ascension invites us to ask the same kind of question. That if Jesus, a human being like us, now sits at the right hand of power, what does that mean for our lives here today? I think, uh, I mean, you see, like, really, the, the ascension is giving us this, this other angle to reflect on the mystery of the incarnation that we talked about back during Advent in December. So if the mystery of the incarnation is of, is of God taking on flesh to come and dwell in our place, then the mystery of the ascension is looking at this in reverse. It's the mystery that a man just like us, a human being, is now sitting in God's place. And so the ascension gives this profound meaning and dignity to our lives here today. And that's why this is a day that the church celebrates. That's why at the end of the Gospel of Luke, which we heard this morning, the disciples don't weep when Jesus leaves them, as we might expect them to do. No, it says that they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, continually in the temple, blessing God. 
Why were they filled with joy? Why should you and I be filled with joy despite our longing to be with Christ physically as they once were? Because the ascension means that you've got a man on the inside. You've got a man on the inside, one who can bring you close to the Father because he's gone there ahead of you. And so to unpack this, I want us to talk about three promises of the ascension and what they mean for our lives today. The promise of power, the promise of his intercessory prayer, and the promise of his presence. Power, prayer, presence. And to do this, I'm going to be hopping all over your Bible, so I won't tell you to go to any particular passage, but you might want Psalm 110 that's in your bulletin handy. So let's consider the promise of the power of Jesus. So a few years ago, uh, the Christian writer, Dallas Willard, was, was interviewed shortly before his death. Now, Dallas Willard had, had given his life to, to writing books and speaking in order to help the church look more like Jesus. This was his life's devotion. And so at the end of this interviewer, or interview, the interviewer asked this pointed question. He says, Dallas, when you look at the state of the church today, everything you've worked for, and you see the crises, and you see the disarray, you see the hypocrisy, do you ever just throw your hands up in despair? And Dallas Willard apparently smiled, and he said, never, never. But how can you not, the interviewer asked, because, Dallas said, I know that Christ is the head of his church, and he knows what he's doing. The first promise of the ascension is the promise of the power of Jesus Christ. And so in Psalm 110, David talks about the Messiah to come, and it's this interesting three-way kind of conversation where where David is speaking to the Lord God about the Messiah, David's successor, who he calls his Lord. And he says, The Lord God says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. To be at God's right hand is to reign with the authority and the power of God. And Paul's words to Ephesians that we read this morning talk about the fulfillment of what David looked forward to, that God has seated Jesus Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to us, to the church. So what the ascension does not mean is that somehow Jesus has been removed from the problems and the trials and the wars and the famines of this earth. It's not that Jesus has escaped. No, it's precisely the opposite The ascension means that Jesus has been exalted to the place of ultimate influence over the earth in order to address those very issues that break our hearts. In Hebrews 2, it says that nothing is outside of the control of Jesus, though at present we don't always see this to be true. And part of Paul's point in Ephesians is to say that the same power with which God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and then raised him to these heavenly heights, that same power is at work in you, his church. So what does this mean for us? 
I think it means that we have reason for hope. We have reason for hope, not simply optimism, which is this vague sense that things are getting better, this vague sense that maybe history is trending in the right direction. That's optimism, but Jesus gives us hope, and hope comes with certainty. To trust in the ascension of Jesus is to trust that he is indeed on the throne. So I spent several years of my life in in social justice circles, and what a friend commented to me was that, uh, looking at our peers, he said, you know, despite the the incredible love and, and generosity of spirit with which, you know, our friends are kind of animated to do the work that they do, despite all of that, it doesn't seem that their love actually ages all that well, because it's incredibly difficult to face injustice day in and day out and not grow calloused towards those we serve or to not grow bitter about those who are not as passionate as we are. And so if you are someone who longs for justice, whether for the unborn or the undocumented or the unseen and the unheard, if you are someone who longs for justice, what will give you the ability to continue to move forward in love year in and year out? I think part of the answer to that is hope, ascension hope, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, hope. As one scholar says, to embrace the ascension, not just to believe in it, but to embrace the ascension is to heave a sigh of relief It's to recognize that Jesus is on the throne, even though he has given us, his creatures, a small role to play in the process of heaven coming to earth. The ascension is the promise of the power of Jesus. So let's move to the promise of prayer. David continues in Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord God has sworn, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. So what does this mean? It means that not only does Jesus sit in God's presence as our heavenly king, but he sits in God's presence as our great high priest who prays for you, who intercedes on your behalf. See, if this language is kind of new to you, in in order for God to deal with the, the separation that was caused by sin between himself and humanity, God established this priesthood from from a nation that he called the Levites. And these men would offer sacrifices day in and day out, year after year, to cover and atone for the sins of the people of God. And David is looking forward and saying, you're going to have a priest like that, only he's not going to be a Levite. He's going to be from the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you don't know, Melchizedek is kind of this strange figure that that seemingly appears out of nowhere, and almost as quickly he's gone in the early pages of the Bible in Genesis. He's a little bit like Tom Bombadil, if you've ever read Lord of the Rings. He just kind of shows up, does his thing, and he's out. Um, But we're told that, that Melchizedek comes before Abraham, this father of the people of God, and he puts before him bread and wine and he blesses Abraham. And David is saying that the Messiah is going to be a king-priest just like Melchizedek, the king-priest. 
Only Jesus in his priesthood is going to reign forever. That's the meaning of Hebrews 7, which is printed in your bulletin above your notes, that the Levitical priests, they offered their sacrifices year after year only to die and be replaced by somebody else in kind of this endless cycle. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Indeed, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for his people. So what do you think about when you think about the ascended Jesus? And does it cross your mind that he is there in the heavenly realms in order to plead your case, even on your worst day, to be your advocate, even after your most grievous sins? Because that's the vision of Scripture. Jesus is our eternal priest, which means that we don't need to offer sacrifices for our own sins. In fact, Jesus is not in heaven offering any kind of sacrifice for your sins. Because what Jesus offers to the Father is himself. With the evidence of the atonement in his hands and in his feet, he presents himself before the Father. He is a priest who, in the words of Hebrews chapter 1, sits down. He's a priest who sits down because there's no more work to do. His hands, his feet bear all the evidence that your atonement has been made once and for all. And Paul says that this fact of Christ's priestly ministry is actually the basis for our priestly ministry as the people of God. And so in 1 Timothy 2, Paul urges that we would offer supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, which is what we do when we pray the prayers of the people on these Sunday mornings. Our intercessions are funneled, as it were, through Christ to God the Father. Christ is the sole mediator between God and human beings. That's why we sing, you are seated at the right hand of the Father. Receive our prayer. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, because he is both God's word to us and our best word to God. What do we offer God? We offer him what he has already given us in his Son, Jesus Christ. So if you doubt your place in God's household, if even on this morning you feel burdened by shame and regret, or even just a, a general sense of your own unworthiness, then of course we have prayer ministers on the side who would love to pray with you. But what they will be ministering to you is the priestly intercession of Jesus Christ before the Father on your behalf. And through Christ, you are warmly received into the household of God. So the ascension gives us the promise of Jesus' power. It gives us the promise of his intercessory prayer on our behalf. And finally, it gives us the promise of his presence. See, the most troubling part of the ascension is that it seems like bad news. Why did Jesus leave us? 
And of course, the, the point of the apostles and the church fathers is that, that Christ hasn't left us. He hasn't left us as orphans. In fact, he says that unless I go to the Father, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. And so there's a way in which in the Ascension and in Pentecost, which we'll celebrate next week, Jesus is even more abundantly present to our world through the Holy Spirit. Indeed, Jesus is mediated to billions of people across the globe, even now through the Holy Spirit. But we'll save some of that conversation for Pentecost. What I want to talk about today is that if the man, Jesus Christ, is in heaven before the Father, then in a true and real way, you are present before the Father, right there along with him. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that God made us alive with Christ. He raised us with Christ, and he has seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. What does Paul mean by that? What does it mean that you and I are seated in the heavenly places? It means that Christ's work on the cross of reconciling God and humanity is complete because now humanity is, has uh, come into the presence of holy God. Jesus ascends in order to present humanity to God once and for all. There's one mediator, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. It means that you can have confidence to take your own self into the holy of holies because Christ is there before you. Christ has opened the door to you. And thirdly, this means that our bodies, our physical bodies, matter a great deal to God because Jesus ascended bodily. See, some of us have, have a mistaken belief that, that in the incarnation, Jesus puts on our humanity only to, to take it off, like you might take off your work uniform before heading home. But no, Christians believe that Christ ascended bodily to heaven, and that gives incredible dignity to our physical nature. He not, Christ not only takes on our human nature permanently, but he elevates it to the heavens. And this is what completely astounded the church fathers. Because it's one thing to say that the Son of God reigns in power. That's obvious. And it's a, it's an, a bolder claim to say that the Son of God takes on our humanity and intercedes for us. But it is almost beyond comprehension that he would take our humanity up into the heavens and into the holy of holies before the God of the universe. I mean, where we, where we put things matters, right? So, you know, we remember when we were kids, we knew that if our painting or our drawing was particularly worthy, it would find its place in the gallery of the holy refrigerator, <laughs> magneted there for all to see. And if you're a baseball player, you know that you've made a significant contribution to Major League Baseball when your face is enshrined in Cooperstown in the Hall of Fame. And so how do you know what God thinks about your humanity? How do you know what God thinks about his desire to reconcile himself with humanity permanently? Then look to heaven and see the ascended humanity of Jesus Christ 
right there with the Father. The ascension is the promise of presence, your presence with God because of Christ's presence before God. He is the head of the church, and we are his body. And not only will the body follow the head to where the head is, but in a real sense, if Christ is our head and we are his body, then we are already there with him. He is not separated from us. And this is where we'll close. I mentioned at the beginning the, the hope of the students in my, in my wife's school in Dorchester. And we know that that hope, like all earthly hope, is something more like optimism. It's short-lived. It has a shelf life. But the ascension is and has been our reason for true and abiding hope. The promise of Jesus' power, the promise of his prayer, the promise of his presence gives us hope that we need to continue marching forward until that day when Jesus returns and heaven and earth are joined again once and for all. The ascension is a guarantee that you've got a man on the inside one who can bring you close to the Father. So today, when you hear this invitation to lift up your hearts, then let's lift up our hearts to the Lord where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and trust that not only will we soon join him bodily, but indeed we are already there with him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.